Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. Russell, we have some special guests here. Yes, we do, Mike. Gentlemen, can you please introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Jeff Weinenbieber. And I'm Jarrett Lance. From the Scout, Scout Expedition, Expedition Company. Company. Let's all say it together. All together. <laughs> Scout Expedition Company. <laughs> and uh, we have a show going on right now. It's our first show, in fact, called The Nest. Which Mike and I have been lucky enough to have already done. And we highly recommend to anyone who can possibly score a ticket. So now, and actually, that's one of the things that we want to talk to you guys first is you have said that you are doing an extension, correct? That's correct. Uh, What's the basic information on when those tickets will be released? Uh, So the plan is for our July extension to sell tickets on June 18th at 12 p.m. Pacific. Uh, And then we're planning on doing a a short pre-sale before that for our newsletter subscribers. So you can go on to scoutexpedition.co, sign up for the newsletter there, or thenestshow.com, sign up for the newsletter there. It's the same newsletter, but um, we'll be doing a short pre-sale for them exclusively for like a couple hours beforehand. And if you sign up for the newsletter, we'll give you all that information before it happens. And we do have a pretty low capacity, um, which we'll probably talk about. Um, We have uh, two audience members per show. So we definitely recommend uh, if you are interested in going that uh, you sign up for the newsletter because they'll probably go pretty quick since uh, we have such low capacity. And Uh, this is the third extension, correct? uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Third and probably final still trying to hash out the details but this might july might be the last month of shows for the nest yeah and that's not like a theater i don't know some theater companies use that as like a way to push tickets like honestly that really (laughs) might be the last extension it's no uh, push for selling tickets or anything like that (laughs) well i mean obviously the reaction to the nest has been strong and extremely positive i you know everyone that i know has done it has absolutely walked away from the show enchanted and loving it that's awesome. So uh, one quick question about the tickets. Uh, the one thing that is different about you guys is you do not buy individual tickets to the show. Right. There's two people per show. You buy the time slot. Right. So when you buy into the time slot, you can show up with two or one person, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yes. Right. Total. The total reason total I wanted to mention that is, is I know someone who approached me was like, I'm trying to buy a ticket. I'm trying to buy a ticket and I don't understand how to get the one or the two. And like, and I was like, no, just buy the time slot. Mm-hmm. Right. So, cause, and so I wanted to mention that cause you hadn't right. mentioned it yet. So. Yes. Yeah, it's it a little bit confusing. And p- part of the reason why is because uh, since it is a two person show, it'd be kind of awkward to put two strangers together. And also, you know, in our experience, Usually the best experiences we've had seen immersive theater um, or doing escape rooms, and we're kind of in the middle of those two worlds, um, is when your entire group is your friends or your significant other. Or you know everyone, basically. And so right. um, definitely for something with uh, such a such a small audience size, we wanted to make sure that it is always just you and someone you know mm-hmm. it is never a stranger, because that would be very uh, awkward, we think. Or just by yourself. And honestly... I can't say whether it's a better experience with someone or by yourself. It really depends on uh, the mood, I guess. I, I You both did it with, well, you both went together. And then mm-hmm. I think, Russell, you went again yeah, I with came back with someone. somebody else. But it, it, it is a different experience somewhat. Um, yes, we've had different definitely. reactions based on whether you brought a friend or you brought your significant other or uh, someone that you don't know that well. I mean, it really does uh, vary your experience. 
Well, let's set up the story a little bit because we're talking vaguely about the experience, but the story is that when you purchase a ticket to the nest, you're given some information. Right. And essentially, uh, the nest uh, is about this woman named Josie. Um, she passed away fairly recently. Um, and she has this uh, storage unit, essentially, of uh, kind of filled with uh, kind of the decades of her life. So all of these things that she's collected um, from her childhood in the 60s and kind of her her kind of middle age growing up and kind of through the 70s and 80s and into her kind of her later years now. Um, so you have the opportunity to go into the storage unit and kind of look through it and piece together kind of, uh, you know, what happened to this woman? You don't really know her, um, but kind of, uh, find objects that are important to her and also, uh, all these audio cassette tapes, um, that she left. So as you go through, you have a cassette player, um, and you're able to listen to these audio tapes. Uh, some of them she recorded, um, back when she was 12, when she first got the audio player as a gift from her father, um, back in the sixties, all the way up into until, you know, right before um, she passed away. So um, that's basically how you piece the story together by listening to these audio cassette tapes. And so that's why the recommendation of go with someone you know is because you are going into a small storage unit to explore. Right. And it is very small. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Intimate, one might say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so with the story and with the idea of having a storage room that people go through and find these tapes. I mean, how did that come up? Um, I think the main reason why this all came together is through kind of a series of figuring out what challenges we were going to have and then designing something that took those challenges and then worked with them creatively to to basically make the best of it. So mm -hmm. we knew we were going to have a small space. We knew we weren't really going to have power or very limited power. Um, we knew that we weren't going to have a large budget um, since it was our first show all on our own. You know, we've worked on other shows with other companies, but this is our first all on our own. Um, so we were trying to think of what are kind of small spaces where you could do some sort of immersive experience in. We kept going back to storage unit or kept going back to hotel room. Um, but for various reasons. I think because hotel room, you know, you have to go to a real hotel, you have to figure out with the Holiday Inn or whatever, you know, whoever you're going to work with, you know, all the liability and those sorts of things. And um, that seemed very complicated that the idea of going back to a storage unit seemed um, practical and also very interesting because it's, if you're going through a storage, if you're going through a hotel, it's kind of interesting too, because you get to see a little snapshot of someone's life and what did they bring into this hotel and where did they come from and where are they going and what's in their suitcases. Um, but a storage room almost builds on that because now you're able to explore through basically everything, um, you know, that happened in the course of their lives that they've collected over time. Um, and that really allows us to use the set as a character um, yeah. because that is really that that's how the story is being told by finding all these little objects and you know um picking this up and trying to determine you know what what was important to her and maybe there's a note attached to it or something written nearby or maybe there's some you know uh some something in a tape that relates to it and so you kind of learn the significance of all these physical objects um, and it seems like a storage unit is perfect for that. Maybe an attic, maybe a basement. Um, but in our case, it's just the, the, the storage room seemed like the perfect um, environment for you to be exploring um, the story of someone's life. Yeah, and um, just from our um, design background, uh, we, we've worked with a lot of set design and we work in the theme park industry. And so like uh, we were really intrigued by the idea of 
as a design challenge, again, almost like a constraint working towards it and seeing how we could leverage it without performers. Like what is a show that's an immersive theater performance without a performer in the space to tell you the story? How do you tell a story through objects and through, um, I mean, there is a performance and we, we, through the audio cassette tapes, Mm -hmm. um, but without them physically being there, how do you, the audience, sort of change the story in your mind based on what you find? And, and, and that's what we were really like keyed into discovering and figuring out. And I can say, having done the experience twice, the story is not always the same for everyone who goes through. Because the story changed quite dramatically my second time. Because we found a tape, we found an audio tape, and we played it the second time that, you know, Mike and I had done it already, and I was coming back with someone, and Mike and I didn't find this tape. Right. So my complete attitude over one character was altered by that one tape, and the one conversation on that tape completely changed my attitude. I was more sympathetic to one person in the story, and I was a lot less sympathetic to another person. Right. And we we kind of, um, you know, that's that's one of the most interesting things about immersive theater in general, I think is just mm-hmm. the ability that uh, many people see the same show. And although they probably have the same general story, um, everyone kind of has a slightly different experience that you can talk about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our case, we have, I think this isn't really like revealing too much magic or anything, but we have, um, you know, a set number of, of main story tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the ones that are a little bit easier to find as you go through the space. Or, you know, yeah. there's one like dead ahead of you. This isn't ruining anything at all. But there's <laughs> I literally point this out when I put people in the room. There's one dead ahead of you when you first walk in. Um, so so those are kind of the easy to find ones. Those are the main pieces of it's the like story. It's like an Easter but... egg hunt. Like yeah, we yeah. try to keep the low hanging ones like out in the middle for the, you know, for the little kids to find like in an Easter egg hunt. But then like the, you, the more juicy details and stuff like that might be a little bit more hidden away or the ones like you're talking about Russell that will drastically uh, change the story for you might be a little bit harder to find and therefore you might only find one or two of those throughout your entire experience and almost everyone asks at the end but no you did not find all the tapes no one finds all the tapes it's basically impossible and it's kind of designed to be that way right Um, where it's the way I kind of describe it it's a little bit like a Venn diagram Mm -hmm. where everyone gets like the 70-80% in the middle Mm -hmm. of kind of those core story tapes and then there's, depending on which tapes you find, you get a little bit extra flavor on, you know, one character versus another. And Russell, when you were talking about, you know, you found a certain tape that, that changed your perspective on somebody, um, you know, that's one example of that. But then you might have found another tape a different time that maybe would have turned that on its head a little bit. Right. Yeah. Also, I think, um, again, like because they're, the performer isn't there and, and that human connection isn't necessarily there embodied, um, you, you kind of bring in your own ex- human experience and your own life experience into the show. So uh, because it's interesting without spoiling it, it's like it's interesting to hear that it totally changed your impression of that character. Oh, yeah, because I, I've even heard the opposite and they hear that same exact tape and now they they support the other character. And so it, it really does depend on the order in which you find things. Um, what you already know versus what you don't and your own life, I guess, what you bring into the show yourself and how you fill in those gaps because the tapes kind of jump timelines right, back and do. forth. Uh, and that also 
like filling in those gaps, I think informs a lot of what the story ends up being for you. That, that's a very valid point. And I'll be the first to admit, when I heard that tape the second time, I got very judgy on that, that character. <laughs> I, I was just like, how dare you? But that's awesome. Right. That's like all of it's valid. <laughs> right. Like any, a lot of, I think it's almost like a tentpole of the immersive theater genre. It's like any experience that you have, I, I don't think that it should be determined that that's a, improper like way to view it or not it's all valid no matter what you bring out of the story it's like we wanted it to be okay it's it's fine it's kind of left that way on purpose Mm -hmm. so actually i think that's one of the strengths of the show personally the fact that it is that versatile and that ever-changing for everyone so and and i've you know it's like i i have people at work who've done the show now and we've compared notes and said like hey like what (laughs) what did you find (laughs) what did you find (laughs) and what did you think of that sequence <laughs> and had you found significantly different things or mostly overlap we or... found mostly overlapping okay stuff. we did we okay. found mostly over, overlapping stuff right so no one's found all the tapes but has there has there been like one tape that no one has ever found yet there Dude. is one in particular that i would say maybe five percent or less of people yeah have found. maybe i mean even less maybe uh, like two or three people total oh, wow yeah. yeah and it's i wouldn't even say it's like super well hidden it just, I'm not sure. I think it's just in an, a little bit of an inconspicuous spot to check. Hmm. <laughs> I'm now I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> now, going off of that, you know, a lot of people that would listen to this, you know, me included, because especially with my first time through, you go into, I'm going to find all the tapes. I'm going right. to do this. I'm, oh my God, I know it's not an escape room, but I need to find everything. You know, right. that's the mentality I had. And I think a lot of people have how do you combat that? Because that's not the point. Right. Well, I think uh, we try and do a couple of things, both in the check-in process of, of kind of reminding people that it's about listening to the audio tips as they find them and, you know, not trying to rush through it too much. But I think on the more practical end, we try to, you know, not number the tapes, not tell pe- people how many there are, not put a date on them, not, you know. There's no ticking th- clock inside right. the room. Right. Like that's got this sense of dread with it. Right. Kind of allow people to, if we ask, we'll say, no, you didn't find them all, but allow people to think like you found everything essentially when you came out. Like we're not going (laughs) to lie to them. Um, But, uh, you know, people probably feel satisfied enough because they don't know what they missed necessarily. Um, And again, we just try and set that up multiple times during the, during the check-in, not by saying you're not going to find everything, but just by saying like, you know, listen to the other tapes as you find them. Um, Just kind of, you know, don't rush through it um, and kind of enjoy your time while you're in there. And I think that hopefully kind of switches people's mindset. And I do usually say also that uh, specifically to kind of turn that like escape room part of your brain off a little bit um, to, to, depending on if, if someone has done a lot of escape rooms before, I'll kind of ask during the check-in and depending on kind of what I found out from that, I'll just say like, okay, escape rooms are awesome. We love escape rooms. We're like, don't do that same thing here. Mm-hmm. The same thing that we would do. I mean, it's, if I go to escape room, I'm going to run in and like rip everything apart and <laughs> try and like throw everything into a pile in the center and like start screaming out like, I'm lifting the rug up. Like I'm flipping the furniture over. What did you guys find? But we just try and tell people multiple times like, please don't do that here. Well, it's interesting that you're talking about uh, you didn't number the tapes because I know when Mike and I did it, uh, one of the things that I tried to do is I I was trying to keep the tapes in the order that we found them, Mm, thinking that there's got to be a pattern, there's got to be a pattern, and then there just became so many tapes, I realized, like, no, there's no pattern here. 
It just right. it dawned on me about halfway through of like, oh, I am trying to like find a pattern or a series of this, and it's like, no, the the adventure is just playing them. Right. So, but yeah, I had to I had to switch it off midway through of like trying to figure out like, wait, which tape should be next, and like it doesn't right. it doesn't matter because you're going to get something no matter what order you play them in. Right. And we oh. do kind of, um, you know, I don't think this really spoils anything either, but there are kind of separate spaces that are in uh, this storage unit and kind of the first space you're in is more focused on her early life. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also some, a couple tapes that we peppered in there that are, From you later. know, much later <laughs> in her life. So we kind of purposely place things somewhat out of order, um, which just, again, kind of changes people's perception I don't know how to say it without giving too much away, but you know, you might, if, if you listen to even two tapes in different orders, it just might change the way you view them. I know that's very vague, but I don't know how to say it in and, a better way without spoiling anything. And it is somewhat designed again, going off the, like the Easter egg, like analogy, it, because some of the tapes are super easy to find and they're kind of in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Um, we are controlling somewhat. I mean, we, we're not in there physically with you to make you listen to certain tapes, but we try to nudge people along to find certain ones first versus others. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Whenever people create something new, there's always that fear of this is something that nobody's done before. Oh my God. I don't know if anyone will like this with you guys. You created something. And I mean, I think, people are giving you the highest compliment you know you created a new way of storytelling which first off congratulations um and i you know i think that shows that this is the third time you're you're remounting it and selling tickets because the previous shows have all sold out like super super quick when you were creating this i mean most people aren't arrogant or and are and think like oh my show's gonna sell out it's gonna be awesome no like definitely did not think that i mean what (laughs) like how did you think and then all of a sudden your your runs sell out like how is that like yeah it's been a crazy experience and also this is probably a perfect time to say like thank you to everyone listening to this podcast who has seen the show already um we are so grateful actually people who have come from um you know uh, from kind of like the haunt community Community, if you will are like our favorite people who come to the show we love them they're the perfect mix of having seen like immersive stuff having done escape rooms oh my god they're great at their they do everything perfectly we love them so basically thank you so much (laughs) yeah usually like you know if you haven't had a lot of experience with this we have a means of helping you within the story like Mm -hmm. nudging you along and with any guest who comes from like your podcast or other haunt podcasts or uh you know no proscenium or something like that in the immersive theater world they're always like hands down the best and like most lovely people to talk to afterwards and are so supportive and awesome so yeah. yeah Yeah, they've been great. Yeah, but now that we've gushed about everyone, <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Back to the question. Um, I think when we were putting it together, we were like, maybe we can like get some of our friends to come. We're like, we don't. Like, yeah, I know a couple people. Like, family, we're come. We're really like big people. Um, I don't know. Like looking back on it, it was kind of crazy. But we're like, we're just gonna make something and like see if it works. And if it doesn't work, at the end of the day will be out, you know, some money. But again, you know, you guys have been, or people who haven't been, you know, it's not a huge budget show. We're not doing, we're not mounting Sleep No More for $10 million or something. (laughs) Um, So because our budget was fairly small and the experience is fairly small with only two people, we could kind of just take a risk and hope it paid off. And if it didn't, you know, we didn't lose out too much. Um, But really um, kind of transitioning a little bit, I I think 
really what influenced it and almost what we what we kind of built off of was a lot of narrative video games. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this a couple of times in the past too, but games like Gone Home or Firewatch or Bioshock, or I haven't played it yet, but What Remains, what remains of Edith Finch or Oxenfree, a lot of narrative-driven video games that are becoming more and more popular these days. Right, where, uh, you know, in essence, each one is different, but in, in many of them, you're learning story by finding you know some sort of audio log or maybe you're interacting with a, a, another character who's unseen but you're all interacting over audio and so that was one of the core things we thought was interesting of like how can we tell the story how can we bring out character through pre-recorded dialogue or through audio only um and yeah we just wanted to try and do it so i guess it was like m- maybe not that many people had done it in like a in like a physical manifestation before, but we were luckily enough to have these great examples of digital um, media and video games and stuff that that had kind of broken this ground already, and we kind of looked a little bit to that. Um, so so vi- interactive, you know, uh, video games and things like that were definitely a huge influence along the way. Yeah, and I think we kind of even stumbled upon the whole like quasi escape roomness of the experience like uh, initially again our our uh, design challenge was telling stories through these audio cassettes that's the hook that we were like really uh, excited about and so when we started designing the space and we started figuring out the layout and like how you would progress through this space and find these audio tapes we quickly realized that some sort of um literal gating would need to happen you would need to somehow uh chapter off or like uh segment the story into acts almost um so that it felt a bit more cohesive of a story because at first we were like playing around with oh are people just going to go into this space and it's going to be a free-for-all but is that is that uh aspirational or is that fulfilling enough and then we sort of were like, well, okay, if there is going to be some light puzzling, like how do we implement that? And again, that's where we kind of fell back on the influences from video games or even like early 90s, like Myst and those yeah, 90s point and click, point and click adventures <laughs> where yeah. like, yeah. Seventh it, guest? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's not like super challenging and it's not going to keep you from progressing for hours or something. You're going to get it as mm-hmm. long as you explore and, and look, you know. Uh, try to go through the space and figure out the story. Like it all is, they're not meant to be these huge roadblocks. They're just supposed to be like little speed bumps along the way. And all of them reveal some aspect of the character of Josie. Like every one of them is somehow tied to something in the room, a prop, a note, you know, some piece of information. And and it just all advances the story. It's all story driven, which uh, I I think is one of the main differences between what you have and your typical escape room is a typical escape room is usually a situation. You guys created an environment and there's a story to be found there. And, you know, it, 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 it's fascinating to go through. And I really enjoyed going through it twice because Mike and I approached it very differently than Deb and I approached it. Um, and by the way, I just I want to mention something after the conversation that you guys and I had and Deb had after um, my second time through mm-hmm. with her for my birthday, she bought me Firewatch. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> yes. did, you, did you play it? I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, I've started the intro to it, basically. Just, oh, okay. like, you named just, your dog and everything. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. I'm, like, I'm okay. just getting into it. But it was okay. based on, because I'm a fairly, Mike and I have talked a little bit about the podcast. I am right. a newbie gamer. And like after the conversation with you guys, you know, Deb told me, we talked afterwards and she said, oh, like 
you know, like you like the escape room, you're like you you would enjoy this type of game, oh, yeah. right? And so she hunted it down for my birthday, and she gave it to me for my birthday, and it's it's oh that's sitting awesome. on my little system over there, and I just haven't had a chance to explore it yet. That's but, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the thing that things that I think is so awesome about those games too is they're really accessible to anybody. You don't have to be like a gamer, and there aren't a lot of game mechanics in it that would require you to like have amazing cord and hand eye coordination. Yeah, you're right? not like, like shooting people. And, yeah, there's like, no competition. You know, well, yeah, like, like you said, it was like I'm, I'm going through the forest, <laughs> right, right, yeah. and learning a story okay, along cool. the way, and talking to a woman over, you know, a yeah. walkie-talkie, and... exploring and finding props, and like, oh wait, what does this sound like? It's immersive theater. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, manifested <laughs> in, in a video game. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I have a couple questions about uh, how you got to where you are because okay. we talked about immersive theater, and and like you guys uh, work for a theme park design company. Yes, you've said that mm-hmm. in in interviews that you've talked about that. Right. Uh, one question ab- about you created this environment. How did you arrive at the title of the show, The Nest? Uh, I, having gone through the show, I'm going to say, right. like, I totally understand. I totally get it. But how did you arrive at that title? Um, I think, again, without spoiling it, it is central to the story's plot, um, but also has many different meanings that we felt uh, applied to the story because it's a place... You know, it's like a collection, it's of, a collection of, of items, right? For the storage room, like it kind of plays into the theme of yeah, hoarding lots of different items throughout your entire life and creating this little home for yourself. That's the key word, home, and th- that's why I wanted mm-hmm. to ask that question is because when I when I was going through it, it, it's like we joke. I'm the one always about the feels and the emotion and all that. I really did feel the sense that like. Everything that is that you encounter physically, and you encounter a lot of stuff in this environment, everything that you encounter is a reflection of somewhere where Josie had lived and mm-hmm. been. And it, 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 it is a physical aspect of her homes of the past. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very clear to me. It actually hit me harder the second time, I will admit. Um, but yeah, it's just like, and so I walked away from the second time. I didn't even think about the title after the first time. But after the second time, I was like, oh, my God, it's so perfect. So right. that's and, why I wanted to ask that question. Right. And then, of course, there's other aspects that kind of play into it, too, that yes. we won't spoil here. But yeah. 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 <laughs> a, again, like Jeff said, there's a couple different meanings that this was. It, it probably takes everyone a long time to come up with the name. But it, we were kicking around names for mm-hmm. the whole time we were building it, I think. And, mm-hmm. and then we just kept coming back to the nest over and over again. We're like, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, and for a while, too, we were trying to almost, like, create something more than The Nest. We were adding words to it and making to it a longer it poetic, title and, and poetic, you know. and we just kept coming back to, no, it doesn't it doesn't ring true enough, so we just kept coming back to The Nest, even right. if we are going to be in competition with a high-tech AC brand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully their trademark doesn't extend to yeah. uh, immersive theater <laughs> okay. as well. So, <laughs> no, it's a very fitting title, that's for sure. Um, now, you guys, as I was mentioning earlier, you guys come from uh, theme park design companies where mm-hmm. you guys right. work, correct? Yes. And people who create shows like this come from everything from LARPing to, like, you guys are theme, uh, theme parks oriented, haunt people, uh, traditional theater people. Right. Um, what influences you what do you gravitate toward what do you guys enjoy exploring in your time not that you've had a lot of free time recently (laughs) um i think what i particularly enjoy and i think what we're able to bring from kind of the theme park world into immersive theater is um 
again, kind of the aspect of world building and, and building, creating an environment um, that's rich with detail and where everything seems purposely placed because that is very much a theme park principle where, um, you know, every, there's the overall story of the land and then every building is part of the story of the land and then every facade of the building and every balcony that's on the building is part of the story and every little wrought iron detail that's on the balcony. It's like from the, from the overall story uh, basically feeds every little detail um, that goes into the play. So, and when you have kind of a strong overall story of what that, that space is supposed to be, every decision comes very naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what I really like is kind of creating the world, creating the set, um, creating the environment. Um, yeah. And that's definitely what I, I do during the day in theme park design as well. Yeah. It's just the all encompassing story that where every single detail, right. Is in service to the story and is in service to the theme. And there's nothing that's left untouched from that. And you can go there and you can be completely immersed, even if that word, you know, starts to lose its <laughs> meaning after being used like a billion times, but it truly is, I think one of the definitions of immersive it's like every single thing you do at a theme park is um especially disneyland obviously it's like yeah from the rides to the food that you get to the hopefully the merchandise that you buy to you know the the pavement everything um is somehow playing to this overarching theme and i think another thing um from theme park design that kind of plays into that and also something we try to try to add into the nest is the idea that this whole story is written, even if it's not communicated to the guests. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, one example for that is the queue in Indiana Jones, where yeah. at Disneyland, where you know there are you know pages and pages written about you know every single room that you're passing through and what's the trap that's in the room and where did the explorers come, you know how did they walk through the space and what does this door that's like really an exit door but you know it looks like it's a door that leads off to some other chamber and it has a sign mm-hmm. on it that says it's leading to that chamber and there's a big map in one of the spaces that's you know a hand drawn like expedition map of what the queue creatively is supposed to be and where all these other hidden chambers are that you never see um and because there's so much thought put into it you know um obviously we were very young when indiana jones was being designed for example so we had nothing to do with it um <laughs> but you know th- that just allows as a designer say okay all of this story is here so now i know like what color that should be i know like what the handle on the door should be i know you know what the texture of the wall should be because mm-hmm. Everything, like you said, is every little detail is in service to that overall story that's so well crafted. And you feel like there's a sense of depth when you go to, uh, like, when you're in Adventureland. Like, yeah, you feel like every single proprietor to every single shop, like, there is a history written for them and that character. And every single detail has a lot of story meaning behind it. Even if at first glance it's not apparent, it's there. And you'd like, or when you're going through the queue in Pirates or going through New Orleans Square, like, and you see that door up on the uh, balcony, um, and you just you have there is so much immersion within that land and so many good details that it just feels so authentic so that you just trust even if there's nothing behind that door like you said it's an exit door or something right you just it 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 feels authentic it feels uh legitimate to the to the story 
It's funny you're talking about Disneyland. Um, one of my favorite places that that everything that you guys have talked about is the uh, the Roger Rabbit ride mm-hmm. oh, in Disneyland. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah. uh, Mike and I were at Disneyland with a group one time, and you know Mike made a comment about how much he liked the Roger Rabbit ride, and I just very casually went, I- "I've actually never been on it." And the look <laughs> on his face, the just horror, like, yes. yeah. <laughs> just like we're going right now. <laughs> and he literally took me over to the Roger rabbit ride and like you will experience this and you will like it and i <laughs> loved it that's awesome <laughs> but it's everything that you just said is everything is in every detail literally right. the grates and the floor and what mm-hmm. you see below them are in service to the story and in service to the world right and it, it's wonderful yeah and you can almost uh, again like going now back to the nest it's like you you fill in the gaps and that's really where like that really good story like comes from. It's like, even if the door is there, like a few little contextual clues could be put on that door or in that little area that tell a little bit of a story, but you fill in the rest on your own. And that's Mm -hmm. where like the real like fun, I think in a lot of those places comes from. So again, like our show, it's like we try to carry that lesson on and try not to give you too much we just create like these hints and maybe we figured it out but we don't deliver every single like line of story just sitting out there for you to to consume it's like no it's hidden or it's it's there but um just not in plain sight it's for you to kind of dig and find and even if it's the smallest little detail that one or two people might find like it's worth it if those one or two people find it right do you think you'd ever release all the audio from all the tapes at one point, like once the run is over or something in the future? We keep kicking that idea around and are trying to figure out the best way to do it. Um, so I would say maybe. Maybe. <laughs> We're hoping we can find the right like creative way to do it. I think we don't want to just put like the MP3 files online or something. Yeah, right. Because right. it'll kind of take away from... Yeah, click and point ways. escape room game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that would, that yeah. would be like, it would it fit so well. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. We can make a video game. <laughs> or if out of it. CDs but... were made, each one would be different in a different order. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like an like a sh- always shuffle oh, that's type interesting. of thing. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. I know. Yeah. It's definitely something we keep kicking around. Yeah. But... Because even for people who aren't able to see the show, like, we feel like it would still be fun to, even the act of going through this collection of audio cassette tapes and choosing which ones you want to listen to first and what order you want to listen to them in mm-hmm. uh, could be fun even by itself. I mean, obviously not the same as the real show, but might be something worth uh, exploring, worth talking about. Doing. Right. And there's also something about listening to the tapes on the cassette player itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. I mean, is there a way we could give people actual cassettes, but then they have to have a cassette player? I, yeah, so they're, there's, they're becoming yeah. easier to find these days. I feel like now cassettes like are cool becoming like back. Hipster. Yeah, 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 I yeah. saw one at Urban Outfitters the other day, and I was well, like, it's, wow, it's we've, we've circled. Yeah. We've made the lap. We're back. Yeah, because LPs yeah. were in, vinyl was in, right. and now we're going to cassettes. <laughs> That, well, we should just sell them as a pack at Urban Outfitter. Outfitters. Sell <laughs> the tapes as you like can a, get your yeah. Space Jam hat and your <laughs> right. cassette player and your Nest cassette tapes. There you go. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. We're if we do rich. release them, I feel like it has to be on 
an actual cassette that you're playing on an actual cassette player. Yeah, that's funny. And so yeah. the Nest Part 2 will be on eight tracks, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's there you right. go. <laughs> I thought it'd be so cool to do all different types of audio formats without like wax cylinders and like, <laughs> records. That would be so cool. And then pretty soon we'll be just back to like actors and then at yeah. that point we've made yeah. the loop again. <laughs> then you'll be considered retro. Yeah. yeah. Or we'll just wait 10 years and we'll do something on like, ooh, like an iPod. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, oh, find, yeah. you find a series find... of iPod nanos. <laughs> <laughs> and you listen to the playlists. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, we went to an escape room where we needed to use iPods. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, nice. It, it is yeah. hard like, to imagine, like... but I mean, it's it, it's one of those things where it's just so hard to imagine that sort of thing becoming nostalgic and right. retro. But I mean, it the, definitely will. The march of time, the slow march of time, will make it so. Like, <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I think if like. 20 years ago or something, you told people, like, there's going to be this show and you're going to, like, listen to audio cassette tapes. People will be like, that sounds so stupid. Like, that's what I do every day. Be like, yeah. But now it's cool because no one yep. does it anymore. Now, the the show takes place at a private residence in a regular everyday neighborhood. Mm-hmm. How have you dealt with neighbors for the first thing and right. having people, just random people show up all the time? Well. It is super low capacity, so we haven't had a problem, like, really at all, because it's just we're bringing a few people in at a time, and there is not a lot of noise in the show. Um, it's not very loud at all. We do, we kind of meet people at a street corner, mm-hmm. so they have kind of the opportunity to park more on, like, a commercial area, and we meet them in a commercial area, so we just try to keep, um, you know, anything that could be noisy or of people, like, kind of milling about or loitering as, you know. It's very it. low impact to our neighbors. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We kind of meet them there and then we'll bring them to the actual space itself. Um, and yeah, like you're saying with two people a night um, or sorry, two people a show. It, it's it's very, uh, yeah, very low impact. I definitely wouldn't recommend doing a large show in the middle of a residential neighborhood. <laughs> and I think actually delusion always runs into that problem. Um, yes, and have. John Braver, I yeah. feel like talks about it constantly. And I, I, I don't think this is spoiling anything either, but I remember just like one of the last things he would, he had said, um, you know, publicly was after, after kind of the last show was that that might be one of the last shows that he does in a residence, which is unfortunate, but totally understandable because they have hundreds of people a night and you have to have parking lots and bathrooms and security and all these things. So um, it's the yeah. constant struggle with any immersive theater company, a space, particularly in Los Angeles. It's like probably number one uh, mm-hmm. uh, hurdle that you have to jump over first yeah, before well, you even start yeah. on anything creative whatsoever, which is hard because it's kind of a cart before the horse situation. Like you sort of have to lock down your location and then see what works there. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I know Delusion has had that problem several times. They've been very open about Right. The frustration that that causes, mm-hmm. you know, right. Mike has been a home haunter and I've been involved with a couple of things that like you mentioned hotels earlier right. and, you know, I've actually staged something here. Um, so yeah, it does become a factor. Noise becomes a factor. And right. Yeah. You do have to deal with that, those issues. Right. Yeah. So definitely if anyone's, int- if anyone who's listening is interested in doing their own thing at home, keep it very small, very quiet, very small keep and be very simple. nice to your neighbors and everything will probably be okay. And that's actually one of my next questions is, you know, L.A. has a huge home haunter scene. Right. Um, you know, it's people that do things for the love of it because they're, they're creative. And they, they, they just create 
at their house right with all the things that have happened in la and in oakland with the the ghost the ghost ship fire um and la cracking down on permitting do you see more home theater in the future happening kind of like how home haunts were happening because people have ideas they but they don't have money they can't get permits you know things like that yeah it's a bit of a vicious cycle i think it stunts the growth of immersive theater and haunts uh, significantly i think that if you can't you know get out of a low capacity situation then you know fiscally you're just like you you it's not very sustainable if you can't make any money off of it or if you're constantly losing or just breaking even. It's really not enough to keep going and to keep growing uh, the entire scene as a whole and lift everybody up at the same time. It's like, so while it, I think it can remain like a passion project and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't know if uh, it's really viable, like unless there's some, some extra support in terms of uh, making spaces available in Los Angeles and helping out on the insurance side and all that, which is a huge issue that everybody's working on um, as, a, as a whole. I, I'm not sure. I think there's almost a little bit of a, of a donut, if you will, where if you're, it's relatively easy to do something that's small that you can do at your, your house. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a lot of money, you could, you know, do something like tension or, you know, sleep no more. Then she fell or, you know, rent some space and do a big production. But there's kind of that that middle part of the donut that's really difficult where you don't have a big budget yet, but you want to do something larger than what you could do typically at a home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Willows might be a good example of something that kind of, I haven't seen it yet, but fits kind of in the middle of that the donut that seems like it's going very well. You know, they have 18 audience members per show. Um, it's in a private house, but it must be a larger house. So you guys have seen it, right? It is. Yeah, yes. yeah, a larger home. So the 18 people must not be a big burden on the rest of the neighborhood. Um, so it seems like maybe they've started to crack that code of how to do kind of a, a medium scale show. Um, but it definitely, I think that is the hardest. Small is easy. Large is easy, assuming you have tons of money and resources. Um, it's just like that middle, that middle piece. How do you, how do you balance those two? Uh, you mentioned Delusion. Now, if I'm not mistaken, haven't you worked, guys worked with Delusion at one point? We have. We worked um, the last two shows on Delusion. So it was 2014, um, the show of, what's the name? I'm so bad. What, was that what? Lies Within? Yes, Lies Within. Oh my gosh. So the story about um, the woman, the, the author. Writer. Yes. Right. Yeah, and all of I'm her kind of Fitzgerald. characters coming to life. Yeah, I, oh my God, that show was awesome. The, yeah. the house was beautiful, um, beautiful old kind of like storybook mansion right, almost. Yeah, oh my God, loved it. Um, and then in, uh, we worked on the 2016 um, version with uh, all the vampires. And his Crimson like, Queen. Yeah, his his Crimson Queen. Queen. I know, I forget all the names. <laughs> so now, bad. But we, we, uh, the first year, we, we uh, just reached out to John and were really passionate about... We had seen the show. Yeah. We had seen two years of the show and we loved it. Mm-hmm. We were already fans yeah. of this sort of thing and his shows in particular and we were just sort of trying to 
dip our toe in the water in terms of helping out on these types of productions. Like we had done stuff at work, um, but wanted to branch out and try different things. And so John gave us that opportunity to help out in a pretty limited capacity that first year. You know, we were right. helping with prop shopping and that sort of stuff, ass- assisting the production team. Um, but then the following year for His Crimson Queen, we had a bit more of an active role in helping design the show on the front end and uh, making design choices and and uh, helping out with the physical uh, selecting of props and building the spaces and the whole psychology of the spaces and how the audience will move through it and all that. Right. Yeah, that was great. There was kind of a team of four of us doing the, the kind of set design and set decoration and then working under the production designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's one of the most fun shows to work on because the houses themselves are so amazing. These like beautiful old mansions, yeah, many they, of them in the West Adams district. I guess it kind of depends on the year. Yeah. They Most do of the heavy lifting church. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the houses, the houses are already amazing. Um, so you have such good bones to work with. And then it's just kind of figuring out what is the story in each space, what character quote unquote lives in each space and kind of how do you, how do you lightly decorate it kind of to match that part of the story. But again, mm-hmm. it's like the houses are so amazing. Um, and that that's probably one of the best parts of immersive theater is going able being able to, you know, see a performance in um, some sort of amazing architectural space. You know, another example is Wicked Lit or Johnny Part 3 at the Mountain View Mausoleum. It's mm-hmm. like just being there, it's, it's so beautiful and there's the marble columns everywhere and the giant you know double height space with stained glass windows is just like an inspiring space to be in definitely i mean the environments for those are shows you listed and um then she fell in new york by Mm -hmm, third rail it's like uh like now did you guys work with third rail at some point we did um briefly uh for a small project back in october actually like on Halloween or like that oh, week yeah, of Halloween right. yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, Third Rail was part of a conference in downtown LA that uh, was about like the VR, like Oculus Story Studio that they put on. Oh, interesting. And uh, they invited Third Rail to sort of uh, do a very uh, bespoke performance centered around the theme of that convention. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, through a friend of a friend, we like <laughs> basically were put in contact with them and helped them wrangle together a show in like relatively a really short in like amount two of time. weeks. Yeah, yeah, it was about two weeks from start to finish, and then the actual. That's just a sourcing of all the props and stuff that we were trying to find, and then the actual load in and set design itself was sort of just uh, off the cuff within like 24 hours it, it sounds like you were doing like like on the fly rapid world building yeah, yeah it was exactly. so fun i mean we just showed up with like a, a cargo van full of stuff and we sat there um you know with the third rail team and with the actors and we just were like let's just move some stuff like okay that 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 chase <laughs> like that looks good here and then the scene you know this was again more like the directors and the actors would figure out like okay and this is what the scene could be and then like okay here's some other cool pieces let's like put this in a corner and let's figure out like what could be a scene here and how do we tie it all together it was really cool just seeing you know their creative process and how quickly they were able to take they had no idea what we were bringing and you know we just brought all this stuff and, and we had we were no all idea able what they just created together either. oh that's yeah. interesting like we yeah. had a very very like on a very basic like story level, level kind of yeah. and visual storytelling but yeah so besides a, that it was like it was a fun design exercise cuz you know i think so often with shows like this they're usually slow building i mean like for the nest we'd been thinking about it for a couple of years mm-hmm. and then we were building it in earnest for like 3 or 4 months but this was literally just like 
see what you can do right. in 24 hours and this right. awesome piece comes from it it's like wow really refreshing and sort of makes you realize that sometimes if you just follow your gut and you uh, try to put something up that time constraint can actually breed like pretty amazing work mm-hmm with you know the right group of people yeah it helps to have very talented actors there so. oh yeah yeah, yeah that, that company <laughs> is like, very strong yes. and that company works really well about they're about the emotion that comes from the space mm-hmm. right so and i was lucky enough to do a workshop not long ago with uh, one of the creative team and oh, it was cool. just like and and just to just to hear them talk about exactly what you said is okay we've got this chaise lounge we've got this we've got this okay well, like, well what does that mean what does it mean in the environment right you know and then how do i interact with it physically or emotionally so and it was it was fascinating hearing some of that process. But what did you? It just sounds like it was a blast for one thing. Oh yeah. But I assume every time you walk away from something like the delusion experience and the third rail experience, like, um, and you have the theme park design experience, like, like you have this ever growing experience level. It seems like so. As you guys grow, what do you see in your future? What do you see you guys, what is, do you like, do you have an agenda? Do you have, do you know what's next after the nest? We've definitely been thinking about some things. Um, and I'm sure it'll change a million times. So we probably won't get like too specific about what we maybe want to do next, but I think whatever it is, we want to do something very different from the nest. Yeah. 180. Um, a complete 180, probably something larger, probably something with actors. Um, probably not, you know, going through a space and finding audio cassette tapes. Um, maybe in the future we'll do that again, but a different story. But I think not for our next show. The remix. Um, but I think no matter what. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> the ultimate Perfect. title. Yeah, that's <laughs> the awesome. Nest, the remix. There we go. Part two. Build it. Um, but I think no matter what we do, I think we want to stick to telling stories that are fairly relatable. Um, so, you know, The Nest in particular is a story about again, like we talked about this woman, Josie, um, who definitely has some dramatic events happen in her life, but isn't necessarily that dissimilar from, you know, any of us. I mean, she has mm-hmm. a, a happy childhood. She, mm-hmm. you know, goes through many of the stages of, the, of life that the average person goes through. Um, but just along the way, you know, things don't necessarily work out um, as planned. So there's something very powerful i think and kind of lets you connect to the characters when you're telling a story that is pretty relatable about kind of a quote-unquote everyday person um so i think no matter what we do next we will stick to that telling stories kind of about everyday people yeah i mean it the nest is essentially a character study it's mm-hmm. a very human story again we, we try not to get too grand in our scope in terms of um I mean, the the story can be poetic at times, but it it never gets too symbolic or anything. It does it never gets away from itself. I would say that, yeah. Again, you're you're hearing very all the dialogue is pretty simple. It's um, like how anyone would talk. It's would not you know Shakespearean or it's just how someone in the '60s would talk. Right, <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, that I think is one of our design goals in the future is to continue continue that and i also think it makes it very accessible for all types of people and that was our also our goal with the nest and our future endeavors is that uh it's great um when you attract the niche art audience um and that they appreciate it but we're kind of in the long game in terms of like we want to bring in new people we want to have a mix of both people who love this sort of stuff and people who've never done 
anything like this before. Like some of the best, most rewarding moments in talking with people who've come to see the show are some of the people who have never done any, they're like, I've never done anything like this. I found it off of Thrillist or right. Eventbrite, which is like, can, <laughs> yeah. always is like a hit or miss most of the time. Mm-hmm. But for the people that really enjoyed it, it's like, wow, you've just converted somebody yeah. into like, falling in love with this type of of work which is awesome and it and it only helps everybody to keep continuing to expand this this uh, breadth of audience. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely rewarding to see kind of the, you know, people come out and and having kind of no idea what it is when they go in and then having like a, a semi transformative experience of probably sounds more grand than it really is. But the thing that always sticks out in my mind it was kind of funny is that um, th- this couple, um, came down from, or came up from Orange County, um, a, a kind of father and a mother. Um, and I think the mother was more into, you know, immersive theater and she kind of dragged her husband along. Um, and he was definitely a very like straight face, like I like very kind of like serious guy. And the, you know, the whole time he was going through, he was very like, um, very like particular about everything and we didn't know like oh like maybe he doesn't really like it but you know that's okay you know he's probably like not too into theater and and things like that that's totally fine um and then he came out and even after he came out he's like oh good like oh good good like that was that was good like but still very straight face but then as we're walking down the alley you know he starts talking more and this guy who's like kind of like again military yeah kind of like a military type persona almost with then he's like it reminded me like of my childhood of like building box forts and things like Aww. under my mom's kitchen table. We're like, yes. <laughs> We're, like this guy who like the whole time was very like, again, yeah, yeah. yeah. He it's just like kinda, that, that like Pixar moment where it like goes back to the character. He like reminded like, of like, like himself when he's like a little child remembering <laughs> playing with. Uh, yeah, making forts out of cardboard boxes and stuff. And so that, it's that sort of um, experience and talking with people that you're like, yeah, you've you've connected, you've hit on something that's like really emotionally deep and shared amongst all sorts of people, regardless if you're into this sort of thing or not. Right. Well, this I, I actually, uh, you know, we we have questions that Mike and I were talking about things we wanted to ask you guys, and I'm so glad that you went there because one of the things that we talked about is reaction to this show. So, what has surprised you? I mean, like, I mean, that's a wonderful moment that you just right. revealed. I mean, that's, that's, and you're right. It is. And it's no, it, it's not, yes, it might sound lofty to say transformational, but no, it is. It, especially if people aren't familiar with this format. Right. So like, what are the surprising moments? You know, like what, what has, you know, for, first of all, has anyone gotten really claustrophobic? Because it is, a, it's, it's yeah. not a tight, tight space. Right. Like, you know, like. Mike and I have done haunts where, <laughs> you know, right. we're in like two feet by two feet. So yeah, it's like, right. yeah, claustrophobia, not, not a it's good all, gauge. It's all us. relative. It's all relative. Being stuck exactly. in a coffin or something like so, that. But, right. Um, right. been there, done that. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, we try to uh, be upfront that it is a really small space and hopefully we've communicated that to people mm-hmm. beforehand before they choose to buy a ticket or not. But yeah, I think we some people, one problem, really. yeah, we've what had a couple, a handful yeah. of little problems here and there with people in the space. And, uh, yeah, I guess you don't know until you're actually there, if you can tolerate the cramp oh, uh, aspect of the space, because it does like, and on purpose, we've designed it so that, you know, boxes are kind of leaning over you and they're very mm-hmm. threatening. Like they might fall over on you. And we've created some very narrow spaces that open up into larger ones and that compressing that contract and expand aspect of the design, I think can trigger some people if they have 
that sort of problem. But uh, I, we, overall, I would say, yeah, very, basically, very, few. very, very, very few. few. And I think the reactions have been mostly positive, which has been you know wonderful. I mean, I think some people. It seems quite different if people go by themselves or um, in the group of two. I mm-hmm. think if people go by themselves, they, they sometimes are have a little bit more chance to kind of reflect and maybe get like deeper into the story and maybe more emotionally connected because they're because there's not another person there. I don't know. It's just kind of a very different experience when you're there by yourself. So those people maybe. You know, some some people end up like crying at the end, which is like, you know, obviously, um, it's very touching. Yeah, yeah. As a creator, I mean, I think that's that's um, powerful again to kind of see that someone had such a connection to the story and a connection to the characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, the response has been definitely positive. Some people haven't liked it, and that's totally fine. I think some the hard thing about immersive theater is we try to set up as much as we can in advance of kind of what the expectation should be, but we don't want to give anything away, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of try to say what type of experience it is. It's like a little bit like immersive theater. It's a little bit like an escape room. It's kind of in the middle of these things. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes people... Um, maybe come thinking it's going to be like completely immersive theater and then they're like disappointed it's maybe a little bit more escape roomy than they think or, or more maybe interactive. the other way around or yeah maybe people they bought a ticket and they didn't really know what it is and they yeah like I, I remember one a couple of people came when doing check-in and they're like oh like we don't have to like do anything right like I don't really want to do anything it's like, like uh uh-uh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, so I yeah. think, yeah, some of it has to do with the expectations, but I don't think it's on the fault of the audience at, at all. Yeah. It's just again with immersive theater, like you want slash escape rooms. Um, you kind you want to give people an idea, kind of what of what it is, without spoiling anything. So sometimes, you know, since we're not a hundred percent clear about you know everything you'll be experiencing, people maybe just have a different idea in their head um, before they go, and then um, you know maybe don't latch onto it as as much mm-hmm. as others, but. Thankfully, those experiences have been fewer um, than the positive experiences. Yeah, and um, in terms of surprises, maybe it's not even a surprise necessarily, but like it's been really interesting um, to uh, assess how people go through the space and to see how different people react to different things. And you just get a lot of different personality types uh, in the space, and it's been interesting to... um, understand that and to try to appease all sorts of personality types so some people love to rifle through little details and get really transfixed on to every single little book and page and magazine and that's totally fine um, and then you get other people who just want to stand in the middle of a space and like turn with their flashlight and they don't want to touch anything really and so it's like from a design perspective the show has evolved quite a bit over the last couple of months, we've changed little things here and there to try to best um, um, assume for all those different personalities. Because you really, you, again, we're not in there to physically force you to do anything, but you want to make sure that no matter what type of person you are, you still are able to get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit like a Goldilocks problem where uh-huh. you don't want it to be too easy. You don't want it to be too hard. <laughs> you want it to be right down the middle. You want everyone to finish in about like 45 to 50 minutes or so. Um, but it is kind of an interesting challenge to try and design something that, um, you know, everyone will get through in that amount of time, regardless of their experience level. Um, you know, yeah. How many shows they had done before and what, what shows they were, um, and their personality type. Um, it's just been very interesting trying to design to that because I think one of the differences, 
um, that we didn't explain before is that, you know, unlike an escape room, since we're more on kind of the immersive theater side, um, everyone gets to the end. It's not, you know, where there's a clock and then, you know, at a certain minute marker, we pull people out of the space. It's, you know, everyone always gets all the way to the end. So it's, that's kind of an, been a design challenge to again get kind of all of these different personality types no, none of them are better than any other like every every personality type is totally fine but trying to get um, them all kind of to be somewhat on the same track and get to kind of the end in about the same amount of time the name of your company is scout expedition company how did that come about um i think again it we went through like a ton of different ideas but i feel like scout expedition company sort of tackled or at least in in terms of like it's it's name and the the impression that we were trying to give through the name and the branding and all that was that this is about like fun this is about um fun aspirational experiences that don't take themselves too seriously i mean the the content can be serious um and adult but it doesn't necessarily mean that like again focusing on accessibility all different types of people can come see this show uh and uh, we might offer a wide range of genres while this one might be more serious in tone the next one could be a comedy and the next one after that could be all ages for children to grandmothers but like keeping it so that um uh, yeah again inspiring the sense of adventure mm-hmm. and uh exploration and uh fun uh, yeah we kept just coming back to fun being like a big part of it and not being too like serious that's what that's what i got from it when i went to your website totally cool. so as fans what are you looking forward to uh in the next couple months like any shows coming up or yeah, I'm going to be seeing Apartment 8 at Fringe Festival, so I'm definitely very excited about that. I've heard so much about it. Um, I think every t- other time it's been mounted, I don't know, maybe we we must have been like working on some project or something, mm-hmm. or um, over the past couple months we've had, there's been so many shows that we've missed um, because of the nest or you know, other things we've been working on. But Apartment 8, really excited about... Um, the Willows, for yes, sure. Yes, the Willows. Yeah. yeah. We, well, because of the show going on from Thursday to Sunday, we've just basically had no lives. So right. it's, yeah, all of these amazing shows are coming and going, and we're like, oh, no, we really want to see them. I know. But the, fortunately, it sounds like the Willows will keep going, and so in right. July, we're hoping to catch that. And then I think on kind of the video game side, Tacoma, oh. which is the next game by the creators of Gone Home. Um, so we're... We, don't know too much about it. I've kind of tried to avoid reading too much about it, but <laughs> I am assuming it is a similar style where you are, you know, learning a story um, by walking around and looking at things and listening to things and seeing things and you're not like shooting people or anything. Again, it's about storytelling through video games. So yeah. definitely very excited about that, but trying to avoid any spoilers. And I've even read like through articles of, again, non-spoilery conversations with the game developers that they were heavily influenced by Sleep No More oh, like for this particular game, um, which I don't honestly know the context of too much. I can kind of piece it together based on the trailers, but... Um, Lots of death. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it seems Make like a bad. lot of, you know, you know Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But a lot of character interactions and choosing which characters you want to follow. Oh, that's interesting. That sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of amazing to see all of these genres like feeding each other and help like elevating each other and inspiring each other. Hopefully it continues. Yeah. 
And um, I'm also looking forward to Star Wars Episode Eight. So <laughs> I got several more months to go, but you know that's fine. I can still look forward to it already. I think we can all say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing you just mentioned. Um, it's kind of a double-edged sword creating your own show because you get to, you miss out on other shows that come through. It's like, is there a way to balance that? Like, or would, I think I already know the answer, but would you trade giving up your creation in order to see all of the shows that you missed? Hmm. Like if we could go back in time almost, <laughs> yeah. you mean? I don't know. I mean, I think, what we're doing in July will be a good balance where we're taking more nights off um, throughout the month so we have opportunities to see other things or just be like a normal human every once in a while. Um, so I think that will be a much better way to go where we have shows, you know, three nights a week, for example, but then kind of a night off. Um, we don't do, you know, I guess a couple of nights off, but, you know, one night off where other shows are running where we can see a lot of things. But I don't think going back, although, although... I am sad to have missed it. I wouldn't have said I rather would have not done a show at all, but yes, I definitely wish we had left a few more breaks in there so we could have seen shows. I never saw Johnny Part 3. I saw Parts 1 and 2, but I didn't have a chance to see Part 3, yeah, which I'm sure was like it. the best part. It sounds amazing. It's like, no. So I definitely wish that we had left a couple of days in there to see to see some other cool immersive stuff in LA. But again, it was our it's our first show, so we kind of felt like it needed to be full tilt. We had to just crank as many shows out as we could get as many people to see the show as we could to make that first impression because i think a big uh a big goal for us was to earn people's trust and to show them that we are uh are going to be able to put on a good show and gain those followers for the next big bigger and better one and then so on and so forth um so particularly with the first one uh we definitely left no room for real life which <laughs> which yeah would be nice but it it was sort of a cost we were willing to take for this first show. Yes. You suffer for your craft. Yeah. <laughs> I get <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, and, and this might not have an answer, and we touched on this briefly earlier, but um, with whatever comes next, do you have a, a wish list of a date? Like, would it be this year or next year? I would guess next year. And I think the reason for that is, you know, kind of going back in time and again, talking a little bit about a current show, we probably kicked the idea around in our heads for the nest for probably like a couple years. And that I think makes it seem more than what it was, but it, it, kind of like with any creative process, you kind of like think about something and then you like think about some other stuff for a month and then like you're driving and like you think of another yeah. part of it and then you throw that all away and then you like restart from the beginning and so 95 percent of the time it's simmering and then like mm -hmm. for five percent it's boiling and you're talking yes. and you're inspired and then for two months it goes into hibernation and then it comes back because you're inspired by some show you saw or some uh, book you read or something like that right so that's kind of why i'm thinking next year <laughs> yeah because i think we'll probably you know, again we have like some ideas in our head but Honestly, they'll probably like completely change or be completely thrown out. Um, and so we'll probably just take like a little bit of time just to like think and yeah, let everything simmer. Yeah, because, but that being said, I'm sure like with any creative endeavor, it's like you swear, you swear off that you'll, you won't think about the next project till the first one is done. And inevitably 
you do. So yeah, we're already right. talking about our the next right. shows, and we really, really like love a few of the ideas that we have. So I and we're already right. sort of like mulling them over more than we probably even ought to. We should just be right. focusing <laughs> on the current one. But yeah, it's like you can't help yourself. And and some of them are ideas that we could do potentially like between big shows. So even mm-hmm. smaller than the nest, like very very micro theater or micro experiences even. Um, that we could do for like a weekend or a short period of time or whatever the case may be um, while we're still thinking of what the next real show would be. Um, so something like that might come a little sooner, but I think the next real show probably will be bigger um, than The Nest and probably would come next year. But again, it all depends on availability of space and all that. Like mm-hmm. with LA, it's like if you've got, if if all the stars align up just perfectly, you never yeah. know. But that's at least our our idea for now right earlier um you were mentioning the idea of you know converting people or like people coming through your show that have never had quite had an experience like this uh i'm gonna get on a soapbox for a moment here i think your show that you created i think the nest is the perfect recruitment (laughs) for lack of a better word because I think you've you've mixed genres in a way that is very gentle, completely immersive in a wonderful, enchanting way, and not immersive in you thrust people into a situation and they have to deal with it. You you give them the chance to explore, and you give them the chance to find the story themselves. So, you know, from a selfish point of view, I want your show to come back, and I want your show to continue. So I just want to say that and the fact that I I love yeah. what you have created Thanks. and I have recommended it to so many people. Thank you so yeah, much. That yeah. Means that a lot. Is, and yeah. I really do believe that it's like you've created something special and I think it's a wonderful wonderful experience for people who are looking to step outside of their safety zone and step outside of the box that they're used to as far as what theater is even if they're used to immersive theater and I think the haunt people that you referenced earlier right. I I think if you're if you're a regular haunt goer, you you might have more of a sense of adventure. So right. you're so you're willing to right. explore. Um, but there there's a that's a double edged sword, as Mike used that phrase earlier, in the fact that they come in expecting something like either more aggressive or darker in tone or something like that. Right. Sometimes some of them would, but you've created this thing that is, you know, yes, it's immersive and yes, it's it's. It's not dark in tone, but there's 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 almost a haunt feel to it a little bit because of the environment and the fact that you are exploring right. with a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very it's, dark it's very and kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah. It, there is a, a creepiness creepy. element to yeah. it, and the fact that you know you you kind of have to you know get down on your hands and knees and dig into stuff and uh-huh. find stuff and not climb because you don't climb. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Never rules. climb yes. on the boxes, people. Exactly. But, but you do have to like, like you have to look above you and below you and around right. you and you have to open and explore. And like, I really do think that, that, you know, what you created is, you know, it's a wonderful transition for those people. It's a wonderful exposure to something different and new and exciting, you know, and that, and look, I've done a lot of escape rooms. I've done a lot of haunts. I've done a lot of theater. And, you know, I walked out, you know, the first time, you know, you saw Mike and I, we talked to you for a very long time after that first time, because we were just both so enchanted by it. Yeah, and thank, I mean, thank you so much for all your support and, uh, you know, for 
your kind words. That's a, yeah, it definitely means a lot that that people have uh, you know had such a positive reaction and like the show so much. Um, and it has been really interesting, I think, seeing kind of like what you're talking about of. Uh, a lot of the the groups of two that have come through are maybe one person who does a lot of immersive theater and then they're bringing again yeah they're their their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their friend or you know someone who maybe has never done something or done you know one thing before and so they're kind of in a way a lot of these shows have been a way for someone to kind of like introduce someone that they're close with it's a good to show what for it. this is yeah because i think it's kind of low um there's not a lot of pressure you don't have to perform another in front of other people you're not in a big group you mm-hmm. you can kind of just like be yourselves a little bit and i think th- that's why you know people um you know have been bringing bringing kind of new new people into the immersive theater fold when they come to yeah. see the show which is incredible yeah great. And I, I think yeah. that essence that you so just put so well uh, is something is a goal that we will strive to do on even future shows i think it's really important to keep it at that level for people because again like about expanding and making it accessible for all types it's Mm -hmm. like you you want to cater to both the the niche audience and the general audience to hopefully keep keeping the popularity up and and expanding your audience to new people because i think a lot of people love narrative video games or they love film and it's like if they would only just try it (laughs) yeah they could be drawn in so hopefully we'll continue to make those types of experience or at least keep that in mind when designing well i i encourage the nest to run for as long as possible (laughs) No pressure, guys. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, and just putting it out there in the universe. No. And piggybacking, uh, piggybacking on everything that was just said, I mean, my mom lives in Massachusetts, and I hope the nest is running when she comes and visits. And my mom's 70 this year. Yeah. You know, and it's like this would be so perfect for her because most of the things that Russell and I do aren't really good for mothers 70 year old mothers yes. <laughs> yeah um you know but the nest is is perfect for that right. you know and i mean have you seen um like a lot of parent child type things like like older like kids bringing their parents and whatnot yeah my parents just went through yesterday because they were in town oh um, really oh, that's awesome. awesome yeah and then uh we've had a couple yeah we've had a couple parent child it was both my parents they went together um so i was you know helping to run the show so i didn't go through it with them um plus i would have known where everything was so i'd be like it's there it's there <laughs> Keep moving. Um, Here's the code. Get, just yeah, through. yeah, just go through. Just get to the end. Here I'll just is. give you the summary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've seen definitely some parent, um, some parent um, children groups go through. Not children. You know, they're twenty year old children, um, and it's kind of like heartwarming in a way because they are the. It's just kind of nice to see kind of the inter generational um kind of like bonding that's happening as they go through um and then you know one of our one of our friends who helped do one of the secondary voices she went through and she brought her mother through too and i think you know talking to her mother afterwards um and also you know you know a couple people who kind of like grew up in that same era it's almost like they almost like form a stronger connection to Josie too. Like when my mom was listening to all the tapes, she was like, Oh my God, like this was all the music I grew up to. And like all this stuff is, <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely, um, 
you know, like touching, I guess, to see to see um, you know people of all ages go through. And the they rest. all know how to use the cassette player. So <laughs> yeah, they're like, I got this. Like, we got this. Whereas, like, we have had a few guests who are on the younger side, early twenties, who have struggled using a cassette wow. player like, or are not completely <laughs> sure what to do with it at oh, first. I mean, it's pretty funny. simple to use it, yes, but it is. yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a foreign object, I think. <laughs> you just mentioned one of the secondary voices and how their friends came through. Did Josie ever come through with people? And Josie is played by um, Mackenzie Fergins. Um, any did she, any of her friends come through like with her or without her and be like, oh my god, I know that voice. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, she came through like a week ago. Yeah, just last week, Mackenzie was able to come see the show, which was really so. surreal and I'm sure <laughs> pretty weird for her. But <laughs> right, I think it was kind of interesting too watching her go through because since she knew all of the tapes and the story on the tapes, she was finding the tapes, but then not listening to them because she knew they were out of order chronologically, even though we had put them out in that way purposefully <laughs> that again, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, some of her Josie's later years, yeah. you know, you find those tapes at the beginnings, but she would just hold on to them and like, be like, it's not time for that one yet. Like, I know what it's supposed to be. Um, so it was definitely, uh, it, it was, it was funny kind of watching yeah, her go through and she, yeah, she, she seemed to love it. So yeah. And she yeah. did such an amazing job as Josie. I mm -hmm. mean, it just worked out so well through Noah Nelson who referred us to her and she yeah. just was she's so talented and yeah we can't like speak highly enough for her performance because we listen oh, to yeah. it six times a night oh yeah and it's like every time we hear it it's just like oh we've yeah, made such amazing. a good she, yeah she did such a good job it worked out just so well and she got to hear for the first time her co-star um which is kind of interesting because they never recorded together in the oh, same yeah. space um we just edited them together recorded them two separate times so neither of them had ever heard the other person's part until <laughs> they came to see the show, which must be a very weird experience for those actors. And it's very funny because you were talking about just, uh, as it was Mike and I went through it, I recognized one of the voices, but I couldn't place it. And it yes. was, it was, it was it, probably it, Tom. Yeah. It was driving me crazy. And then yes. when you told me afterwards, I was like, oh, well, of course that's who it was. Yes. Yes. So. That's Matthew Bamberg Johnson from the Speakeasy Society. Who yes. I know you guys are familiar with. Yes. Who have met before. They were on the podcast not too recently, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah he did a fantastic job, too, coming in and, and help filling that role. And yeah, again, just like emotionally connecting with the other characters without ever having even met them, which I'm sure right. is no easy task. But yeah, I think they just so well. listened to like Jeff's scratch audio in order to hear the other part of it. So it'd just be oh, Jeff like playing Josie. Being like, <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, my God, Josie. Like, <laughs> yeah. That should definitely be released. Oh, my God. <laughs> we talked about that. We listen to it every now and then. It's just... so funny. I, I like laugh. I, one time, like somehow oh, one of God. them got mixed in <laughs> with the other tapes. And so someone during one of the shows at near the beginning found one of the scratch audio tapes and we were like oh my god wait what is this why does this tape sound so weird and that's like wow oh my god it's jeff is young josie <laughs> so he's trying to do like a 12 year old girl voice uh -huh. and it's like and we're just like oh god that's for the halloween version when she gets possessed by the devil yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh god. yeah the, the whole
whole cast is awesome. We have um, Evlana Panelli doing young Josie, and she's actually a co-worker uh, who actually plays uh, Josie's father in one of the tapes, so that worked out well, like wow. Really her dad well. is a co-worker. Yeah, my, her, she is her, not a co-worker. Her, dad, her father is my co-worker, and then... Um, yeah, it just it worked out so well. She did such a phenomenal job. Like she's just like an amazing little actress, and she has a little bit of experience um, acting, mm-hmm. but uh, has never done anything quite like this before. And she just like dove into it. And I don't know if you heard any of the tapes with Young Josie, but like, oh yeah, yeah, she just nailed it. It was such a fortunate situation. Oh, yeah. that, that whole setup tape where she's talking about the tape recorder and the birthday and like right. all of that. Yeah, I, all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a ta- this also doesn't really spoil anything, but there's there's a tape where you know she she finds or, or gets a dog as a present when she's younger, and she just like nails it and is like laughing and giggling. And every time you hear that tape, it's like, oh my god, like she's a legit like child actress. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, like being our first show, you know, we had budget to fund a few of the actors but essentially we were calling in a lot of favors throughout the entire production of the show and and with um the voice acting cast as well a lot of the uh cast are friends and family and people that we know really well who were able to help out um and in that way but yeah we just got very fortunate in that everybody just meshed so well together have we covered everyone yeah, I mean, we have we have other people, Claire Weiss, Kyla Frazier, Michael Overman, uh, and Mark Pinelli, who all helped mm-hmm. with voices. But uh, yeah, and th- those are all friends. Right, which is great. And stuff, which was cool to collaborate on. And I think we can't leave out a very important person also, which is our technical director, Michael Alardi, who uh, I will not... Uh, you, If someone comes and sees the show, they can ask us afterwards what he did. Um, as technical director, I'll tell you guys after the podcast. You okay. probably know. Yeah, um, it is a very low tech show, but there are a few elements that are hidden, hidden high tech moments that you wouldn't necessarily know about. Um, and then um, Sheldon Bachin doing PR and Kyla Frazier doing uh, mm-hmm. social media. So mm-hmm. that was our uh, our our little our uh, ragtag yeah, gang. <laughs> yeah, it, you just mentioned something that you've heard. You hear the stories, then you hear the tapes six times a night. Are you ever surprised at this point because you've heard them so many times by new combinations? Um, yeah, because I mean, there's there are certain ways that people tend to consume the tapes, and by that I mean that they find them in a more or less a similar order, with every now and then finding. Uh, one or two tapes out of sequence but every once in a while yeah there are people who will find or just choose for whatever reason to listen to certain tapes um in a different order that i think can really impact how you view the character um again yeah like we can't go into exact (laughs) details this all probably sounds like very like secretive secretive. it's not really that secretive or crazy it's just we don't want to ruin it yeah yeah (laughs) but if you happen to listen to a couple tapes out of sequence it could drastically i think shape the way you uh you interpret the story and I think by this point, after listening to them so many times, we have them like all memorized. Like we just like can say them out loud as they're going in in the room. So it's just kind of fun. yeah. Going off what you said about listening to tapes out of order, it can drastically change the story. Did you go into creating these tapes with that specific purpose, or did it just was it a happy accident that it ended up that way? Or 
Definitely. I think in writing them, it like, um, it was a balancing act of trying not to reveal certain aspects of the plot while still giving you bits of information here and there. So it, yeah, it was, it was about creating these moments in time of Josie's life, um, that didn't necessarily ruin any other part so that or that at least had little callbacks or little connections and threads here and there between multiple tapes, little details that carried throughout that depending on the order that you found them, you might connect the dots a little differently. Right. And anytime a callback to a different tape, um, it would be specific enough that you would know what she meant if you had heard the tape that it was referencing, but general enough that um, if you hadn't, it would still like, kind of make sense. Like there's this one line again, I don't think this ruins anything, but she, where she says, um, you know, I didn't mean to hurt him. And so, you know, if you just hear that out of context, it's like, did she physically hurt someone? Did she emotionally hurt someone? Did, you know, what, what does that mean? And if you found, you know, a couple tapes, other tapes, I might describe what that meant. But even if you didn't find that, um, it still all kind of makes sense with the context of the story. I, it's funny that you go to that line because I remember that line very specifically. I do too, especially yeah. with you. <laughs> no, like when we went through. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah right. So we tried to right. pepper in a few of those lines that depending on what you found would drastically change the meaning of that, right? It's the whole like place, the right placement of a comma or the right placement of, uh, of context on or emphasis on a particular line based on what you found might influence you more than someone else who didn't find it. And that, that passes them by and means nothing to right. them. Interesting. Yeah. It, it just, it makes me want to go back again. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's just it, because every time it will be different because of the order of the tapes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then there was also sort of this challenge of making sure that the basic story beats are all explained in the core story tapes, mm-hmm. the, the ones that are easier to find so that even if, most people that leave, I would say, have the same gist of the story. It's just all those dots in between that are a little bit different. And totally different interpretations, I think, of, of you know, what happens at the end of the story, which is, it is kind of supposed to be open-ended a little bit, but obviously you know going in that Josie has passed away. Um, but even at the end, it's like, the different ways that might have happened, or maybe she didn't, and maybe just the the you know county for some reason thinks she did or you know there's not really any you know right or wrong answer to it um but it's just left very open-ended and people have totally different interpretations uh is there anything about this experience that you uh want to say or cover that we haven't covered already take it away jeff (laughs) (laughs) no i'm like i need to think about that for a second Hmm. Because this is your first yeah. show. You, you've said that several times. So it's like, right. what, what's your takeaway? Congratulations, and I hope it was an adventure. But I mean, yeah. like, like... Well, I mean, our personal takeaway as a hopefully growing immersive theater company is just taking a project from inception to completion um, and everything in between. You know, we have a specific set of skills that we brought into this whole journey but coming out of it i feel like we've learned so much just because we only being two of us we have to do everything ourselves i mean yeah we we've had a lot of help with a lot of the um 
sort of things like technical directing and social media and stuff. We've had assistance there, but in terms of building the show and writing the show and getting the actors and, um, piecing it all together and the design of the space, that's just been Jarrett and I, and we've just learned so much by actually forcing ourselves to put on a project and put on this show. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, have this sort of aspiration to do something like this, or, you know, they think they've got an idea for a long time. Um, but it, it just takes, um, so much more than you can even comprehend to do this yourself. And there's no better way to do it than to just force yourself to jump into the fire mm. and just, and go for it. Cause right. you learn so much along the way and so many things you can't even, uh, um, see ahead of time. Right. But that you learn to deal with and uh, you make the most out of it. Right. And it kind of also, I think another thing kind of t- based on what you said, it reminds me of this quote I heard, like someone was telling me it like a year or two ago. And now it's like one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's in Tina Fey's book. I love Tina Fey. Um, and it's from, okay, wait. I love this quote so much. I can't even remember the guy who said it. <laughs> who, the, produ- the SNL producer, like the main Lauren SNL. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels talking to Tina Fey and she is trying to work on, you know, some sketch or something like that. And he goes to her and is like, Tina, it's not done because it's funny. It's done because it's 1130. And so I think that is like <laughs> such a good lesson. I mean, I think that goes back to like everything in like theme park design and like in our day jobs, you know, we sometimes are forced to like iterate over and over and over again to try and make something perfect when like at the end of the day, it's like, no, we just got to, we just got to move forward with the best information we can. I think also applies to small shows is, you know, you, with any creative endeavor, you never accomplish everything that you want to do. There's always more. Um, but at a certain point it's just like, okay, this is this piece of it is done and we got to move on to the next piece and the next piece and we got to get all the way to the end um, because if we, we could spend months just perfecting one element, but that doesn't make a very good show. We have to kind of keep a big picture and, and kind of drive towards an overall finish. So that definitely was another example of that same quote of being uh, <laughs> lived out in my life. And now I like that it has Another example why this like my favorite quote ever. It's like, we just got to do it. <laughs> got to move forward. And to that, too, it's like learning just to embrace design constraints and challenges um, from all aspects of, of the show and turning them around and leveraging them to your advantage. Like, okay, you have a small space. It's tiny. That's fine. That's awesome how can you best use that how can you best take advantage of that 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 shouldn't be seen as a disadvantage that could should be seen as a gift in many ways or uh, so i to keep that mindset and try to keep moving forward on the constraints that we have and trying to turn them around somehow right and I think also like all of that being applied to anyone who's interested in doing their own show mm-hmm. or a haunt or escape room or whatever the case may be. It's just the time is never perfect to do it, but just, right. you know, just do it. Like, just do it. You'll be happy. You will. You'll probably have a, you probably won't have a lot of social life for a while, but like <laughs> just try it and it will work out. If you like put your heart into it and if you like work really, really hard um, it will end up being cool. So definitely encourage anyone who wants to, you know, start their own thing, um, to just go for it. 
That's great. Inspirational words. Thank you both. And it just reminded me of another quote is um, deadlines don't stifle creativity. It encourages it. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Because if you're open-ended and you never have the deadline, you'll never finish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for talking. Before you guys leave, we we have to we have actually one really important question that we have okay. to cover. It's like I don't know if you've listened to my Hot Life podcast. It's quite right if you haven't. <laughs> no, yeah, I have. I yeah. think I know it's coming, but uh, I'm not. Sure. The important question is: Are you Team Snickers or are you Team Kit Kat? <sighs> Kit Kat. Oh my god. <laughs> Do I get to eat this? This is this is not an easy choice. I don't take it lightly. But I'm gonna have to go. I know. I feel like I'm in a Kit Kat mood, but I wouldn't say all yeah. the time that I would be. Pro Depends Kit on the Kat. day, but you know what? I would say most consistently, most uh, most of the time, I'm Team Snickers. So all right, a good okay. even split. He knows what's up. I'm not supposed to eat. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is an ongoing conversation that Mike and I have, both on and off the record. <laughs> no, we just like to get input every now and then. Okay. Yeah, it's so, fun. So it's one fun each this evening, sir. Yes. <laughs> Is there a constant tally somewhere in oh, this room we that should you've have got going? Yeah. You should put up a dry erase board. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the big like tally so, marks. I, I must scratching admit, and chalk. Though, yeah. Yes, actually, very good idea. We, uh, I, I, Even though I am Team Kit Kat, I, I must say I believe that the tally board would lean toward Team Snickers. Well, especially after the Creep LA interview, because yeah. they had one of the cast members for the will or the production team for yeah. the willows was working on a Snickers commercial. And that's why she couldn't, she couldn't come make the interview to the interview. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So everyone like, like had to say Snickers. Cause yeah. actually, <laughs> it is like so the willow sponsored by Snickers. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is so not an easy black and white decision though. There's so much nuance to that question. There really See, there is. is. Like, and also like, like Twix, like, I don't know. Okay, but like, that's Twix not the question. Is, I know, but no, Pe- just peanut, like, okay. Peanut butter oh. Twix or caramel? Caramel. Well, caramel, obviously. And like, <laughs> obviously. This is like a Pandora's box yeah. that <laughs> just been unleashed upon it's the world. It's a slippery slope yeah. to dive down. By the way, Mike, I'm, I'm totally with you, peanut butter, on that one. <laughs> we should probably have a candy debate podcast. Oh, yeah. Like a spinoff. Yes. Hi, welcome to the uh, candy debate. <laughs> peanut butter M&Ms. Those are definitely yes. the best type of m M&M. That's my crack. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The crispy oh ones are pretty kidding. good, too. He's not kidding. <laughs> He and pounds like, them up into dust. I really do. <laughs> like it's just by the handfuls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't eat meals because I eat so many of them. Sometimes just those so. like giant red bags with the handles that you oh, can get yeah. at Costco that are like the five mm-hmm. pound sack. Uh, I had no, no, totally with my permission. I did have some in the house uh, when Mike arrived tonight. I no longer have any. Just, just, <laughs> oh, okay. Was, the, but okay, there was only okay. like three left in there. Oh, really? There yeah. wasn't more than that. No. Okay, then I must have. <laughs> I must have almost finished them off. So, See, so I feel like with Snickers, not to keep like <laughs> into this, but like so, Snickers is definitely like a. It's more of like a meal. It's like yeah. I can sustain myself for longer on a on a Snickers. While with a Kit Kat, and I love Kit Kat too. It's like it is more of like a candy bar treat like a little snack cleanser. yeah like, like a little like mm, little, little candy ch- treat whereas yeah. like snickers it's got like, i'm so glad you it. guys are game for this conversation <laughs> because that hearty is... <laughs> yes yes <laughs> actually that's kind of how this all began is i made a comment about snickers being too sweet for mm-hmm. me sometimes so and that's kit kat is a more subtle it's understated it's got more finesse and grace that's it, the truth oh right no. but it is oh, very yeah. simple yeah i mean snickers satisfies <laughs> I mean, <laughs> trademark TM. Yeah. TM. 
Yeah. Well, really, you should just delete everything you recorded before, and we should just continue on this for the next like couple hours. Like, delete all that other crap about the show. And look, and then the next conversation is jerky, but that's that's like oh, don't even yeah. Or cake. I, I always have a debate on cake versus pie. Oh, that's not oh. even a question though. Well, what is your it's answer? Pie. No, it's cake. <laughs> it's, oh, no. it's cake. whatever is in front of you. <laughs> uh, but if I had two. If I had a cake and a pie, I would go for the a cake. Pie. But you have oh. two hands. I, I, well, I would go for the cake first with both hands. <laughs> I'd have to say that I'm I'm more of a cake person. Okay, yeah. there you go. Cake, cats and cake. We have uh, two things in common. Uh, yeah. yeah, a good apple pie with a nice oh, like true. sugary crust. I totally like, get it. I totally oh, yeah. get it. But I'm a little more of a cake person. So I won't make yeah. any jokes about that. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> the important things in life. Exactly. Uh, See, see, thank you guys. You're more game for this conversation than most people who we ask this question of. That's awesome. So, uh, thank you guys so much for stopping by and, and, and talking with us. We, we, like, you know, from the first time that we met you guys at the show that, you know, you totally won us over and we thoroughly enjoyed the nest and we wish you all the best for the rest of the run, the extension. Thank you. When you remount the show, because it has to come back. That's the way it is. It's just the universe needs it. And for everything else that's coming from Scout Expedition Company. Thank you so thank much. You. It means a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And before we, we end this, uh, can you give all of your websites and social media and everything where people can find yes. you? Yes. So we'll give one more plug. Again, the tickets for our July shows are going on sale June 18th. Um, the newsletter to sign up for the presale is at www.thenestshow.com. Um, and you can find us online uh, on Twitter at Scout Expedition and then Instagram and Facebook at Scout Expedition Co. Thank you guys so much and good luck with everything that you have going on. Thank you. Thanks. This is great. Thank you. Right. Hey everybody, it's Jared again from Scout Expedition Company. There's one more piece of news that came in after we recorded this podcast. On Sunday, July 30th, we're going to be teaching a class on designing immersive environments at this year's Midsummer Scream convention. Using lessons from The Nest and our previous work in immersive theater, we're going to share our design process from initial idea all the way through production. We'll also discuss how to convey story through physical objects, use the design of a space to affect audience psychology, turn challenges into storytelling opportunities, and a whole lot more. It'll be great for anyone who's interested in the design process of haunts, immersive theater productions, and other types of walkthrough attractions. For details and tickets to the convention, head over to www.midsummerscream.org, and remember that our class will be on Sunday, July 30th. Hope to see you there. Uh, so again, thank you to Jeff and Jarrett for coming on to the podcast and speaking with us about The Nest and the Scout Expedition Company. It was, it was such a good talk. It's it's really nice to hear people who are just starting out and and their creative process, you know. Uh, it just I love this show, and I know Mike, you and I both had such a good time when we went through it. It was really interesting to hear some of the creative process going into it. And uh, God, I wish them well. I, I just like whatever they do next, I'm in. Yeah, I, I really hope it, it does extend longer yes um, i agree you know I, it would be amazing if this could find a permanent place somewhere yeah because pe- more people need to see this like this is going to be used for inspiration like throughout the years yeah but, already i mean among our haunt and immersive theater friends it is being heralded as sort of like one of the shows of this year just because of its unique premise and the way it unfolds it's awesome 
Agreed. And that wraps this up, right, Mike? Yep. All right. So thanks for listening. I'm Russell. And I'm Mike. See ya. You had another good question, so. I did? Yeah. (laughs) I thought you were going to go right into it. (laughs) Let me go to the paperwork. (laughs) I don't want to steal your thunder. So, no, steal away. Go ahead. (laughs) This is how the podcast gets made. (laughs) I love it. Just leave this all in there. So we awkwardly turn to each other and go, what? (laughs) You would never know from listening to it. So...